The message you are listening to is recorded by Campus Outreach for the 2018 New Year's Conference. More information about the New Year's Conference can be found at newyearsconference.com. Y'all got one more talk in you? 2018? Awesome. So uh, this morning I tried my best to convince you to um, adopt the bullseye uh, in your life for the rest of your life in every area of your life that you're meant to be a force for good. And, um, and that's really thrilling. I don't know if some of y'all kind of picked up on it, but it's really thrilling to know that every day I can use every bit of me to be a force for good. My hands, my feet, my eyes, my ears, every bit of me. Um, there's unlimited potential to be a force for good in the world. And this is what Paul was saying. I mentioned this to you in Romans uh, 6, and I suggested that this could be a maybe even a, a, a 2019 theme verse for you. But look at it again. Consider yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. And watch this. This is what I love. Do not offer any part of yourself. And you ought to think, my head, my eyes, my hands, my feet, my mouth, any part of myself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. And so here's my little theme. Um, None of myself to sin, all of myself to him. That's what I'm going to pray tomorrow morning. 2019, Jesus, none of myself to sin, all of myself to him. And this is thrilling. But this is what I want you to consider tonight. There are thousands of ways that we can be a force for good. But I do believe that not all of those are equal in the sight of God. I do believe that there are some pursuits of good that are more valuable or more important than others. What I would suggest to you is that while every single day has unlimited potential for you to live and aim at the bullseye in your life, that not every one of them is equally important in the eyes of God. In other words, in your life, if you really want to be a force for good, you've got to figure out which good to prioritize. I would suggest to you that you need to prioritize the pursuit of good. You have a limited life. You have limited, you can't do every pursuit of good. So what do you prioritize? Here's a verse that I read when I was your age. I was a student in college and I came across Titus 3.14. It's the Titus book of the Bible. And um, you get that? No, actually, real story. (laughs) Real story. Uh, I became a Christian and I went into a Christian bookstore and I got a Bible and a Christian joke book. Uh, yeah, uh, so, so this dad has a lot of cheese, man. Uh, I mean, those, they're so bad. Uh, it's like, uh, you know, why was Jesus so against television? He does say television to no man until the Son of Man returns. Uh, anyways, all right. I know, bad. Um, it's not in the manuscript, I'm sorry. Uh, look at this verse. This is really interesting. Our people must learn to engage in good deeds that meet pressing needs so they will not be unfruitful. Most of us just assume that being a fruitful person is doing good deeds, but Paul says here, no, 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 actually, uh, you can do good deeds that don't meet pressing needs in your life and you be unfruitful. So the question to ask is, what are the good deeds that are meeting pressing needs 
that would make me a fruitful person or a force for good. That's what fruitful is. Uh, Jesus himself, I don't have this verse up, but John 17, 4, I brought you glory on earth by completing the work you gave me to do. Think about that. Jesus said, the reason why I brought you glory is not only that I did good deeds, but I did the good deeds that lined up with the pressing needs of what I was called to do. And so the question I want you to begin to consider is, how do you know what good to prioritize in life? If you say for the rest of my life and every year of life, I'm going to be a force for good, what are the few things that you say, I'm not leaving this to chance? Of all the good I do, I will definitely commit to this. That's the question tonight. And so how do you figure that out? Well, I think that there are specific good that is to you, that only you can do in light of your, uh, let me say it again. There's specific good and general good. So there's specific good meaning uh, we could both do the same thing every day and it'd be good and right for you, but bad for me because maybe you're a single person living on the college campus and I'm a father with five children. And if we both did the same thing and the Lord say, good job, and he looked at me and say, You've neglected so much of your responsibilities and your calling. So there's specific acts of good, which we can't talk a crowd like this about specific. You've got to figure out what are your pressing needs in light of who you are and where you are, okay? But then what I want to talk to you about is, is there what general, what general consensus of good that God has said in his word, I prioritize and I value above all else. And so that's what leads us to our text tonight because I'm pretty certain um, this is how I work. I'm very simple-minded. When we say, what good do I prioritize? Um, my first response is, well, why don't we just read the Bible and look for those verses that seem to suggest that God is like waving, hey, this would be pretty important. You know, you, you can just intuitively read the verses in the Bible and some of them just kind of scream, uh, this is a big one. And I think if we all left and I said, we're well, going to give you three hours you go and Google, do whatever you want, and we're going to try to gather the five most important verses that if we do any, we're going to gather five that, that, that we bring together. I bet most of us would bring, of our five, two verses. The Great Commandment and the Great Commission. And it's a little, it's kind of, they both have great in them, so that would be one of those, like, well, they, they don't. The, the biblical writers have summarized it afterwards. But great commandment, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. Sounds important. Uh, this is the first and greatest commandment. Second's like it. No, that sounds good. And then the great commission. I think we would come back with the great commission. And the great commission is God's invitation to you to get personally involved in his mission in the world. And I would just suggest, so, he, so here's my train of thought. Um, God intends that you, if you submit to his rightful and delightful authority, that for the rest of your life, in every area of life, you're a force for good in the world. And if you, of all the good that you do in your life, uh, there's a few things that you should not leave to chance. And one of them is being personally involved in God's great mission in the world. So that's where we're at tonight. Uh, so I played college soccer at UNC Charlotte. In my sophomore year, we were number two in the country. And we advanced to the national semifinals where we played live uh, on ESPN in front of 20,000 fans. And, uh, and I was a part of arguably one of the greatest goals in all NCAA tournament history. Your boy was a part of it. <laughs> Your boy. It was a close game. It was a corner kick. 
and a soccer ball goes out of bounds over the end line. You put it in the very corner, and the ball, the ball was kicked into the middle of the 18-yard box, just right in front of the goal. And a defender went to head the ball out away from the goal. The ball came in. The defender, he went to head it away from the goal. And as he headed it, everybody turned their backs to the goal because he was trying to head it that way. But unfortunately, the defender just headed, instead of away, he headed it straight up in the air. And everybody turned their backs. And there was a guy whose back was to the goal and he looked up and he didn't see the ball. He looked out and so he looked up and the ball was right above his head with his back to the goal. Y'all know what's coming next. And so this man knew instinctively that all I could do is a bicycle kick if I wanted to hit this ball. And a bicycle kick is you jump and you kick your legs back over your head and you kick the ball. And so as the ball came down, this man did a bicycle kick and then the ball went straight into the upper 90, upper corner of the goal. And 20,000 fans went nuts. And your boy was a part of that goal. <clears throat> yeah. <clears throat> what role did you play, Matty B? <laughs> Unfortunately. <laughs> Unfortunately. I, I was a defender. <clears throat> oh, it gets worse. Trust me. <clears throat> I was a defender. And I was charged with guarding the right post. And when the ball came in to the middle of the box, David Hughes, who was my freshman roommate, a man from Wales, he went to head the ball out. But David instead headed it, and it went straight up in the air. And Florida International's Tyrone Marshall turned, and then he looked up in the air, and he smiled. And Tyrone instinctively did a bicycle kick. And the ball came off of his foot, and it started coming right at me. And my goalie, my first team All-America goalie, that's the best goalie in all the country, my first team All-America goalie yelled, Keeper! And when your first team All-America goalie yells, Keeper, you don't move. And that ball came, and it went right over my head. And y'all, I would give anything, anything to go back to that moment. And I'm not crying about that moment. I'm crying about where I'm going with it. I would give anything. You know what I'm it's like, man, that dude is like, we need some counseling up in here. Nah, I, uh, it's all good. Um, I would give anything, just anything to, to just jump, thrust, throw my hands up in the air, get a red card. I would do anything to have just just giving myself a chance to get in the game, but I just stood there watching it go right by. Some of y'all smell what I'm cooking. I just would beg you, whatever you do, as much force for good as you are in the world, don't end your life, don't end the next year watching the opportunity to be involved personally in God's mission in the world go right by. The feeling of regret that I feel pales into comparison if I let seconds of history tick by just watching the greatest story in the history of the world go right by I was just talking to Darnell uh, with the worship band before this and every year uh, at the end of the year I tell myself this uh, Maddie we don't live on a circle we live on a line 
We don't live in a circle because there's this tendency that we think, we think January, February, March, April, May, June, July, August, September, October, November, November December, January, February, like, like we've been here, right? We've been here, New Year's Eve. We've been here again. Here we are again. Can't wait. Was it, were you here last year? No, you weren't. You've never been here. This year, don't forget the year. You've never been to December 31st, 2018, and you'll never be here again. And tomorrow, you've never been to, you've been to a January 1st, but you've never been to January 1st, 2019, because history's on the line, and it's going somewhere. It's not on a circle. So don't confuse yourself, which means don't let another year go by without getting personally involved in the Great Commission. Let's read our passage. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you, and behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. And so this is uh, what I want to do with the rest of our time. So um, try to make this simple. I, I, wanna, I hope you see uh, maybe some things you never saw before. They've always been there, but maybe you never saw them. This passage is structured like Jesus is building an Oreo cookie, all right? Uh, that's what Jesus was thinking when he was not. Um, just imagine. Well, first, if, let's imagine we're building a cookie. We're going we're gonna to place a cookie, and then we're going to put the cream, and we're going to place another cookie. The cookie represents why. Why should you feel confident to prioritize making disciples and being involved with God's Great Commission the rest of your life? And the cream is the what? What is disciple making? So this is how, this how the, it, first Jesus lays a cookie. He gives a reason why. And then he tells you what, and then he tells the why again. So that, that's the, best, the simplest way I could explain it is we have why, what, why. And the reason why I think that is is because Jesus doesn't just want to equip us and say, go and do this. But Jesus knows that vision leaks. Jesus wants us to be confident why. So he doubles up on the why as he gives us the what. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the why, the what, the why, and then we'll be done. And uh, here we go. The first why. If I did my job last night, maybe it, you already saw it. Jesus says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. And when you hear him appeal to his authority... Hopefully, Indy, you will think back to the last time he appealed to his authority in John 10, 17 and 18. Here it is again. No one takes my life. The reason my father loves me is I lay down my life only to take it up again. No one takes it from me. I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to go to the cross. And I have authority to get up from the cross. This command I received from my father. So when you hear all authority... The first thing you ought to think is, okay, this is a command that is rightful and delightful because he uses his authority for my good. I hope you saw that. There's a second part of this why. Look at this. All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. What Jesus is saying is the first reason why you ought to feel confident to prioritize this with your one life is that I have all authority. He's saying in heaven and on earth is everywhere. My authority is limitless. And he's saying, therefore, I have the power to make happen what I'm calling you into. This is so important. Listen, I have authority, all of it in heaven and on earth. In other words, what I'm about to call you to do, it involves you, but it's not dependent on you. I'm in control. And the reason why that's so important, and we missed this because we weren't there, Jesus said, go make disciples of where? 
who knows the text? Go make disciples of where? All nations. All nations is the entire world. If you would have been with them at the moment, Jesus had died, the believers were doubting, Peter's gone fishing. I mean, everything's falling apart. Everything's fragile. And Jesus is going to say, uh, you're not just going to make an impact here. You're literally going to do this in the whole world. And Jesus is saying, the reason why you can be confident is I've got the authority to make this happen. And this reminds me, and, and I, I think, uh, uh, never mind. I, I think it ought to come to your mind too. But, uh, but anyways, uh, Matthew 13, 34. Uh, Jesus said this. He's talking to his disciples, the kingdom parables. And he says this, the kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed the smallest of all seeds. And, and when he would have said that, his followers would say, uh-huh, yeah, you got that right. Yeah, we that small. <laughs> Did y'all know that, that tonight I put a mustard seed in every single seed tonight? Did y'all know that? E even if I didn't, you couldn't tell. <laughs> if I said, y'all put tennis balls in your seat, you'd be like, no, you didn't, Matty. You would know that. But I say mustard seed, you'd be like, well, he could have, and I, I wouldn't even notice it. That was the point. The kingdom of heaven right now is the smallest of all seeds. We literally are virtually gone. I mean, if somebody sneezed, we're gone. They would say, yeah, that's right. And this is what Jesus said to them. He said, the kingdom of heaven is a mustard seed, the smallest of all seeds. And when it is fully grown, it becomes a tree and the birds of the air, air come and nest in its branches. And what Jesus is saying is that this, this little mustard seed called the people of God, you are going to be fully grown one day, which means you are going to literally expand to the ends of the earth. Now, if you would have been there and you would have felt how fragile you were at any moment, the Romans would snuff you out. The Pharisees would snuff you out. And Jesus says, you, this small mustard seed is going to stretch to the end of the earth. You would say it. I believe it when I see it. I believe it when I see it, Jesus. But the thing is, he involves us, but it's not dependent on us. And so just imagine this, y'all. Imagine if, if those people that heard the kingdom of heaven is the smallest of all mustard seeds, when it's fully grown, Imagine if they could walk the earth today. Imagine if they could go to Guadalajara and hear about people trusting in King Jesus. And they could go to Orenburg, Russia, where I've been, and hear about people trusting in Jesus. And they could go to Konkan, Thailand, and hear about people trusting in Jesus. And they could go to London, and they could go to the America, uh, United States. They could come. They would walk all over the world, right? I, I think they would just be like, the mustard seed, the mustard seed. It's happened. And you know why it's happening? It's because all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to him. It's sure. So you can build your life on this. You can build your life on this because one, it's this rightful and delightful authority. And two, it's going to happen. Don't get caught on the, in your corner of life watching it go by. That's the first why. It's good for you and it's going to happen. So let's go to the cream. What? What does it mean to make disciples? Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations. Uh, and, and there's books written about disciple-making. And so, for our, the sake of our time, I'm going to focus on two things that are just in the text. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them. So those are the two things. to say, what does it mean to make disciples? If I want to get involved in disciple-making, what am I doing? There's two things I would highlight. Number one, you're getting involved with baptizing them. You're like, oh, so we're just going to take somebody tonight up in the tub in the room and, and go to town with them? No, nah, not necessarily. Uh, baptize them and teach them. And I'm going to break this down very simple. 
Baptizing them is the process. So baptism is the process of leading men and women to an outward identification that they are of God's people. Baptism is a sacrament, an outward act of an internal grace. It is an outward act where people make a, make a statement to say, we are a part, we identify with the people of God. So, so this is the basic way I wanted you to think, that being a part of disciple-making is helping lead people to an outward identification with God's people. This happens in a local church. I really want to encourage you, if you don't go to a church, you need to be in a church. That's a key part of outward identification with God's people. But it's also a part of being a part of your campus ministry. Being a part of your campus ministry and the body of believers on your campus is one aspect. It's not the full aspect of the local church. We're not a church, but it is outward identification with God's people. And to summarize, in a basic sense, when Jesus says baptize them, he's saying help lead people to visibly connect with other believers. To say, I'm a part of this family right here. And, And at a very basic level, that's just getting one another in Christian community. That's what you get to be a part of. So look look at this. Let me give you uh, one verse. (laughs) One verse. Hebrews, uh, I want you to see how key this outward identification is. Hebrews 3.12. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Ouch. Like this is something that you need to do for yourself. See to it that none of you falls away from God. An evil, unbelieving heart. You must do this for yourself. Every individual in here must do this for yourself. But here's the tricky thing. The rest of the verse tells us how we do it. Watch this. See to it, brothers, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. You must do this for yourself, but encourage one another daily, as long as it's called today, so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So what you must do for yourself You can't do by yourself. You need others. You see this? Don't have an evil heart that turns away from the living God. Encourage one another. So here's what the scripture is saying. What you must do for yourself, you can't do by yourself. You need a connection with other believers. I don't know if some of you are are Lone Ranger Christians. Uh, You don't even even know who Lone Ranger is. Uh, Solo, uh, you know, Lone Survivors. you need, you need relationships with other believers. It's a part of, of making disciples. Number two, if, if the first part is an outward identification with God's people that we get to be a part of, the second part, teach them, represents inward transformation of God's people. So you see how I'm doing that? I'm trying to help you remember, remember it. Being a part of making disciples is helping people make an outward identification and inward transformation. Just a couple verses. How does this happen? Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that happens through God's word, that you can test and approve what God's will is, his good and perfect, pleasing will. So, uh, trying to summarize a full part of this passage with you have the opportunity to lead people not only to outward identification, because if that's all you got, then you're just going through the motions but also inward transformation. But watch this. Disciple-making is not only leading people to inward transformation. You could do that by yourself in your dorm room, just click a sermon online. That's not a disciple. A disciple is where outward identification and inward transformation converge. That's why people come up to me and they're like, Matty B, would you invest in me? I say, I'll only invest in you if you'll commit to a relational context and a community. 
Because, yeah, I want to help you inwardly grow, but I want to do it in the process or in the context of a community so we can serve together. I can give you responsibility, etc. Okay, so um, what is disciple-making? It's leading people outward identification, inward transformation. That's the what. Before I go to the last why, uh, you're invited to participate in this. You're invited to participate in this. And I want to give you three ways that you can participate. And, and here's the thing, uh, especially campus outreach, we love disciple makers. But discipling is not the only way you can participate in this. Uh, in fact, it's the third way. I, I want to show you two other ways. And here's the first way. The first way that you can participate in this, and y'all, some of y'all need to hear this, is you can be a recruiter. And a lot of people don't like that word. And I don't care what word you use. You can use a wooer a summoner, an inviter. Use whatever word you want to use as long as you are clear that the moment the New Testament opens up, the kingdom of God is spread by recruiters. You can do this. And watch this. Some of y'all need to hear this. You don't have to be able to help somebody grow to play a role in their growth. Some of y'all are like, wow. You don't have to be able to help them grow personally to play a role in their growth. Actually, some of y'all are here at this conference, or most of y'all are here, because somebody recruited you. They recruited you to a place where you can hear about Jesus and learn about Jesus and follow Jesus. And you yourself aren't equipped to give these talks, but you're a part of it. You're a part of it. As a recruiter, you can invite, you can point, you can, you can bring, you can show people where they can go in order to grow. And guess what? When you do that, you leave the corner of your life and you get in the game. Just the first chapter of John. Literally, do, look in the Gospels and just look for recruiters. The first chapter of John. So you have John the Baptist. He's talking to his disciples. And then he sees Jesus and he points. He says, behold, the Lamb of God. And they went. Guess what? That was a recruiter. And then Andrew goes and meets Jesus. And guess what Andrew does? Andrew goes, hold on a second, Jesus. And he goes and gets, who does he get? His brother, Simon. And he brings him to Jesus. Guess what Andrew did? He was a recruiter. And watch this, watch this. Simon would be named Peter, the rock of the church. One of the greatest Christians in all history. And guess what? His brother recruited him to Jesus. I love that. You could be a recruiter. You could recruit the giants of the faith and you don't have to be able to help them grow to get in part of their growth. I'll, I'll be honest, I love recruiting. I love, I love, I love, I love just trying to get people and bring them to opportunities and places where they can grow. And then they come, I'm not even a part of their growth and I'm a part of it, but I'm not the one helping them grow. And they say, thank you, thank you. I'm like, I just, just recruited you. I just told you about it. You can get in the game, <clears throat> number two, you can get in the game through evangelism. An evangelist is someone who learns how to share the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ with another person. I'm so thankful for the ministry of Campus Outreach. We just value as a core commitment to help people learn how to share their faith in a warm and winsome way. It's exciting to recruit people, but it is exhilarating to be able to tell somebody about Christ. Have you ever had that experience? Y'all, I am... I am humbled at the amount of times I've been able to share the good news of Jesus and be a part of walking somebody into the kingdom of God. 
And it's so humbling because I know Christians who have been Christians for 20 years longer than me that's never done it once. And at the end of the day, it's how I was raised. It's how I was raised. You see, Betty, how do you get, because somebody taught me. And honestly, I just would beg you, position yourself in a place where somebody would teach you how to share your faith in a warm and winsome way on your campus, in your, in your meetings, at your discipleship group, on a summer project. It's one of the reasons why I say go to a summer project. You can learn how to share your faith in a warm and winsome way. And will God love you more if you go on a summer beach project? No, he won't. <laughs> Let we, we did, we're going off the notes again. Look at this. Here's the Christian message. No, seriously, watch this. Watch this. The Christian message is that in Jesus, you have the full love of God. It means that he cannot love you more or he cannot love you less based on what you do or don't do. Actually, give me an amen on that. Amen. Listen, he cannot love you more. He cannot love you less based on what you do or don't do. Amen. Watch it. Don't make a false, don't make a wrong application to that. The wrong application is, therefore, it doesn't matter what I do. Uh-uh-uh-uh-uh. Watch this. Just because you're fully loved by God doesn't mean you fully know it. Oh, yeah, we're about to have a New Year's devotion. Just because you're fully loved doesn't mean you fully know it. And knowing matters. Knowing matters. Do you want to be able to trust in God in your life? Yes. Well, Psalm 910 says, you will. If you know something, do you know it? Do you want to be able to go through trials and still have faith in God? Yeah. Well, James 1, 2 through 4 says you will. If you know something, do you know it? You want to be able to labor for the Lord the rest of your life? 1 Corinthians 15, 50, 15, 58. That's a lot of 15s. You get a point. There's a verse in 1 Corinthians 15 that says you can labor for the rest of your life. If you know something, do you know it? Do you want to be able to lose your property, your physical possessions, and still trust in God? Well, Hebrews 10.34 says you can if you know something. The Bible constantly appeals that you will if you know something. Do you know it? So people say, yeah, you're not going to, God won't love you more or less if you go to the beach project. But you'll know more of the full love that God has for you. And knowing matters. So for the rest of your life, you make decisions to position yourself to know more of the full love that God has for you. Man, oh, that will change your life. Uh, thank you. Uh, I, yeah. If you didn't get that, just go listen to it. Go back and listen to it. Um, okay, where are we? Oh, evangelism. <laughs> evangelism. Um, some of you say, I can never do that. I can never be an evangelist. And, and I would say that's one of the biggest lies Scripture. Biggest lies is I can never do that. I can never be an evangelist. Uh, you know who one of my favorite people in the Bible is? Epaphras. If I had another child, which we'd not have any more children, uh, we might adopt one. Uh, we're not having any more. Uh, I'd name him Paffy. Nah, I'm sorry. There's two of us. So we wouldn't. Yeah, she shook her head. Nah, he's not. But I would call him Paffy. I'd call him Paffy. I love this dude, Epaphras. Y'all know Epaphras, don't you? <clears throat> See, y'all don't even know Epaphras. Um, look at this. You, you know Epaphras' impact. Look at this. Go, go back one. Sorry about that. Um, because we heard your faith in Christ Jesus, the love you have for all God's people, the faith and love that spring from the hope stored up for you in heaven. Here we go. About which you've already heard in the true message of the gospel that came to you. Paul's saying, you heard the message of the gospel. It came to you. Somebody brought it to you. In the same way the gospel is bearing fruit and growing throughout the whole world as it has been doing among you since you heard it 
heard it and understood it. Okay, so the Colossian church heard the gospel and it was bearing fruit in their lives. And then watch this, 1-7. You don't know Epaphras? You learned it from Epaphras. The Colossians were started by Epaphras. And then in chapter 4-12, guess what we learned about Paphy? Epaphras, who is one of you? He was a local boy. He was a local boy. They didn't hire in some preacher from the outside. A local boy started the church of Colossians. Don't ever say that you can't be somebody who could be an evangelist. He was a local boy. We could be a recruiter. We can be an evangelist. And lastly, you can be a disciple maker. A disciple maker is when you grow in your faith and your walk with God to the point where you can then help another person grow in their faith and their walk with God to the point where they then can go and help another person in their walk with God and on and on and on. That's a disciple maker. Uh, so I've told y'all about uh, I've told y'all about coming to know Christ as a college student, and uh, 10, 15 minutes later, my man Joe knocking on my door and giving me scripture to memorize, and uh, and it didn't stop there. We were in a Bible study about a month later, and Joe Joe said at the end of the Bible study, he said, um, "Guys, who wants to close us in prayer and uh, and pray uh, that God would use this room to impact the world for Christ?" Y'all, I had only prayed like three prayers in my whole life as a Christian, um, and they were all to myself. I mean, I was barely comfortable praying at, me at meals to myself. So I wasn't about to pray something like that ridiculous prayer in the front of other people. I was like, you know, looking at the people next to me. Everybody looked, nobody, nobody, we were all young Christians. Nobody, we were like, nah, you got us, Joe. You know, you hang up, brother. Um, and, uh, and so we all closed our eyes, and Joe began to pray. Heavenly Father, pray for these men. Pray for the work you've begun in their life. You're faithful to bring to completion, Philippians 1, 6. And I pray you would take us and use our lives to the end of the earth. You say, you quoted Acts, uh, when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And, and I couldn't help it, y'all. I just couldn't help it. I was thinking how ridiculous this is. And I opened my eyes. And guess what? Every other guy, eyes were open, looking around. Except one man, one man, his head was bowed, he was praying, he was believing, he was believing that God was going to do something to these men. I looked at him, fervently praying, we all shut our eyes, you know, we're like, we don't get in, want to get in trouble with God. Um, he was believing it. Uh, a few days later, we were at the student activity center, and uh, that was uh, the student center, and, uh, and Joe and I were meeting, we're talking about a word, he was investing in me, and one of our teammates walked in. And he goes, Maddie, let's go talk to him. No chance, bud. No chance. He was like, no, nah. he said, I'll talk. I'll talk. I was like, that's fine. So we went over to Joe, uh, a teammate named Joe, and uh, we started talking. And Joe, he was like, man, uh, Naramore, Joey, led to the meet of Christ, said to my teammate, congratulations on the recent game. That's exciting. And then Joe said, yeah, Joe, what's been going on with you? And, and I knew I was in trouble. I knew I was in trouble. When he said, nothing. There is never nothing going on in his life. He goes, nothing, and my heart started beating. He goes, but Matt's had a lot of exciting things happen to him. He said, why don't you share with him? <laughs> I was like, dang, come on, man. Uh, you know what he's doing? He was throwing me in the game. He's throwing me in the game. Afterwards, I was like, you know, that wasn't that bad. It wasn't that bad. A few weeks later, we were at a basketball game, and halftime, the, uh, I might say this wrong, the gold dusters came out. That's the half-dressed girls who dance, right? 
they all came out. And, and, and everybody, they started dancing. Music playing, they started dancing, you know. Uh, I would do a little Fortnite. Uh, but uh, they didn't do that. They oh, they're dancing. And, and, and I heard, I heard, uh, Maddie, got any tests this week? And, and I was like, uh, at the time, like, come on, man. I'm trying to watch the show, bro. Um, I was a new Christian, y'all. And, uh, and then I heard, uh, when's your next game? And I looked. And y'all, I'll never forget this. I looked. And there was a face, and it was my man Joe looking right at me. And I saw thousands of the backs of the backs of thousands of heads. And I got the message. Joe was saying, Maddie, we ain't gonna look at that. We're gonna look at Christ. He was caring for me. He was loving me. He was discipling me. And one day he wanted me to do the same. And by God's grace, I've been able to. And I'll tell you what, the greatest joy in the Christian life is reserved for the disciple makers. Look at this. Paul says, now we really live. That is so shocking. Since you are standing firm in the Lord. We didn't live until now that we've been a part of helping others stand firm in the Lord. Look at the next one. I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. No greater joy. The greatest joy is reserved for the disciple makers. You could be a recruiter and get in the game. You can be an evangelist and get in the game. But if you could do anything where you grow to the point where you can be a disciple maker, I would beg you do it. I'll throw in one more. First uh, Thessalonians, the end of chapter 2, uh, this is phenomenal. Paul says this, just First Thessalonians 2, 19 and 20, if you're taking notes. The Apostle Paul says, what will we rejoice in at the coming of our Lord Jesus? In other words, when the curtains open and Jesus returns, he says, what are we going to raise the roof at? What a provocative question. You know, my Nikes, you know, nah, you're not doing that. What are you going to raise the roof in? Well, you would think rave the roof about. Anyways, uh, what are you going to be hype about? That's what he's saying. Um, and then he says this. He says, is it not you? You are our glory and our joy. Paul says when Jesus returns, you would think he would say we would glory in Jesus. But then if you realize it, you realize, well, maybe you could say, look, a dead man made alive. But he doesn't. He says, that's actually, that's remarkable. This is doubly remarkable. You took a dead man, made him alive, and you used him to lead dead people to life. Look at him. Look at him. When he returns, would you be able to do that? I, and that's not, a, that's not a, a burden on you. That's just a vision for you. <clears throat> I want you to be able to do that. Uh, the greatest joy is reserved for the disciple makers. Okay. Uh, the why is his authority. is good for you and it's going to happen. The what is that you, you help people. Outward identification, inward transformation. And a recruiter, an evangelist, a discipler. And now let me conclude with the last why. Um, look at this. Behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The last why that you ought to feel confident to commit your life, pursuing and being a force for good, and one of the areas that you say, I will be a part of, is God's mission of making disciples is because he, he gives the promise of his presence. Now watch this. First of all, I don't think he's talking about his omnipresence, which is that he's everywhere. That's... Pantheism says he is everything. Like, this is God, this is God. We don't believe that. But we do have a doctrine of his omnipresence. 
Psalm 139, where can I go from your spirit? If I go to heaven, you're there. If I go to the depths, you are there. So God is everywhere, but that's not what we're talking about. Right here, he's talking about his manifest presence. Listen to, do I have John 14 on there? If whoever has my commands, I am with them. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is that loves me, and he who loves me will be with me, will be loved by my Father, and I will love him and manifest myself to him. So when you keep his commands, it says he shows himself to you, his presence in a special way. So that's what he's talking about. And you go to make disciples because Jesus has promised to be with you in a special way when you do. And that ought to be compelling. But I must add one more thing about be with you. That if I don't add, Jesus would say, Maddie, you're setting them up for failure. Um, I will be with you sounds like something you would put on a Christian coffee mug. Right? It sounds like, like warm and fluffy. I don't know why I think fluffy is warm. It's, yeah, yeah, cozy. It sounds cozy. It's, it sounds like, like something you would slip underneath a friend's door. He will be with you. Um, but, but friends, don't miss this. Don't miss this. I will be with you is the greatest promise that God could give. And God doesn't waste promises. God gives his greatest comforts for those who face the greatest challenges. <clears throat> Let me say it again. Don't think that I will be with you as some soft, fluffy, put it on a coffee mug and talk with your friend comfort. God gives his greatest comforts for those who are about to face the greatest challenges. And I'm telling you that, that the greatest thing you can do with your life is to commit to be a part of the Great Commission. Because his authority, it's good, it's going to happen, and he promises to be with you. But I want you to know, get this. When he says, I will be with you, he's telling you, you're about to face the greatest challenge that you could possibly face. I'm not a big roller coaster guy. I'll ride them, but I want to know one thing. My son tripped on me about this. I want to know what kind of safety harness does it have. The reason why I want to know what kind of safety harness it has is not because, uh, I, 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 depending on safety harness, I think I might die. No, I think I'll die on all of them. No joke. Like even that little mouse one that goes around, the kitty one, literally, I'm like, into my hands, I commit my spirit, Lord. Like, I, I'm really not kidding. My wife will tell you. But I want to know this. Look, I want to know this. Does it have just a little seat belt? Does it have the bar? Or does it have the over-the-shoulder harness that comes down from above? Because I know that the stronger or more safe the harness, the wilder the ride. Y'all got me? Y'all got me? Okay, yes, yeah, see, y'all get me here. I, they say, oh, it's just a, the lap belt. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's do that one a couple times. They say, oh, it's the one that comes down from above. I'm like, oh, dang, I, I feel like I'm going to throw up, y'all. Um, because I know the, the more secure the harness, the wilder the ride. Look here, when God says, I will be with you, He's literally dropping down the most secure harness there has ever been from heaven and saying, giddy up, boys and girls. It's about to get crazy in here, literally. And see, some of y'all think, that sounds cool, Matty B. That sounds really cool. But what biblical evidence do you have to support it? Oh, you want biblical evidence. <laughs> you want biblical evidence. I'm not going to say something that doesn't have the Bible to support it. Guess what, friends? You know what God told Moses before he sent him to confront the most feared man in the world? I will be with you. 
Do you know what God told Gideon before he sent him to fight thousands with an army of 300? I will be with you. You know the context in Psalm 23 when he says, I will be with you? Surely when I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will be with you. Do you know in Isaiah 43, whenever he says, I will be with you, when you walk through the flames, I will be with you. When you hear, and I'll be with you always, oh gosh, oh no, Lord, really? It's going to be that wild. Look, look, I'm telling y'all, you got to know this because some of y'all say, I want to do this. I want to be a force for good. And of all the good I'm going to do on my hall, I'm going to make some cookies. I'm going to be nice to people. I'm going to pray to be a part of the Great Commission. And Jesus says, be careful. Be careful. It's going to get wild. It's not going to be safe. It's not going to be easy. And here's the thing. Uh, this is a whole other message, but Mark 4, the parable of the seed and the sower, the seed goes in four soils. Three of the soils don't produce fruit, and the, or, or they don't bear fruit. The reason why the three, Jesus tells us three, and Jesus is the master teacher. He's teaching them, and he's teaching us. And the three, you need to know. Number one is Satan. Number two is suffering. Number three is stuff. Jesus says, if you don't have a good theology on Satan, suffering, and stuff, you're toast. The word of God is not going to bear fruit in your life. So you just need to know, this is a suffering moment right here. When he says, I will be with you, he's saying, go for it. It's secure. It's for your good. I'm in it. And I will be with you in a special way. But don't for a second think it's going to be easy. If you do, you're not going to make it out the driveway. All right. I told y'all uh, that was the end of the passage. Um, I lied. I lied. Um, uh, I promise I'm going to go short tomorrow morning. But, uh, but look at this. So, so I memorized this passage in our, in our discipleship group the first semester of my sophomore year of college. And when we memorized it, we memorized Matthew 28, 18 through 20. And when we did that, we made a great omission. And the great omission was that we didn't memorize Matthew 28, 16 and 17. Don't go there yet. Because Matthew 16 and 17 is the context for which Jesus spoke those words. In Matthew 16 and 17 is a whole nother why you do this. And so I'm not ending without it. Here we go. Now the 11, and this will be quick. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And he said to them, what a moment. The disciples were in two groups. There were what I call the shouters and the doubters. There were those that were on fire and ready to go and believing, and there were those that were limping and struggling. And guess what Jesus did not do? Jesus did not say to the doubters, hey, here's a football. Y'all go over here and toss it around for a while while I go and talk to the shouters. He said to all of them. He spoke to all of them the Great Commission. Personally participating in God's mission to make disciples of all nations is not only for those who appear to have it all together. And the fact that Jesus speaks to the shouters and the doubters tells you two things. Number one, involvement in this, the Great Commission, is the response of a healthy heart and the road to one. In other words, to the shouters, he says, you fired up, you're ready to go, I got something for you. And to the doubters, he said, you're struggling, you're limping, I got something for you. Involvement in the Great Commission is a response of a healthy heart, and it's the road to one as well. Where are you at right now? 
Are you a shouter? Are you a doubter? Jesus would speak the same commission over your life. So what would it look like for you to commit to this? Well, for some of you, it would just like it would be making decisions to commit to growing, to be a person who would be able to help another person, to be a person who's connected to a body of believers that you can invite and recruit people to, a person who knows how to share your faith so you could share it, a person who is at the place where you could disciple. And then for others who are, you've grown, what would it look like for you? It honestly would look like you sacrificing in order to move back in the dorm, in order to take a service position in your fraternity or sorority, to get, come early to practice, stay late a little bit that you might interact with somebody, to maybe not have so much free time. I don't know, but whatever it is, I just beg you for the rest of your life and every year of your life, be a force for good. And of all the good you're going to do in this room, don't leave being personally a part of God's mission to chance. Prioritize it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, thank you. Uh, thank you that you don't need us, but you involve us. Thank you for this privilege. And thank you, Jesus, that you don't just tell us go and do it, but that you equip us with rock-solid reasons why. That you have all authority, which is for our good. That it's going to happen because your power stretches to the ends of the earth. And that you will be with us. Even when it gets hard and the, wild, and the, the ride is wild. We just Thank you for listening to this message from Campus Outreach. Feel free to make copies of this message to give to others. But please do not charge for these copies or alter the content in any way without written permission from Campus Outreach.